You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Old Timey Crimey. That's right. I called it an edition. I'm in charge now. Christy's in jail. She's... <laughs> She's at the beach. <laughs> beach uh, not, jail. Not torturous, I'm sure. <laughs> Damn but, it. Uh, you... Scott really just wants to send her to jail. No, I don't. It's just, it's society. <laughs> society wants so- to send Christy to jail. Exactly, exactly. We, we were kind of discussing, well, now that Christy's on vacation, if that's what we're calling it, uh, that... Are we going to skip a week? Are we going to take a vacation? No. Amber and I said nay to that. And we are going to power forward. (laughs) And we've come up with a great idea. Um, We've kind of come across this this weird thread. We're going to do a couple of stories. And every, every story here, number one, takes place in the Carolinas. Number two has a paranormal twist to it, and number three involves a mine. That's right. This week, you're listening to Old Miney Crimey. Old Miney Crimey. Oh, my God. I was so pleased with myself. I just, <laughs> I just sat there going like, where is Christy now? Huh? Where is Christy now whenever I come up with a beautiful award-winning pun? Such Probably as, shaking her head at you. Right? Yeah. Well, she can't stop us now, can she? <laughs> Well, she can she can still not publish this though. Yeah, yeah. The inmates are <laughs> running the asylum. Oh my heavens. Now, everybody's familiar with the California gold rush of the United States, but what a lot of people don't realize is that was not the first gold rush. The very first gold rush in the United States was the Carolina Gold Rush. That took place in 1799 forward. Uh, There's this really fun little story about how it started. Uh, There's a young boy named Conrad Reed. And Conrad is out playing in the river one day. And he looks down and goes, oh, that's a shiny rock. I think I'll take it home with me. And his dad looks at it and goes, yep, that, that sure is a rock, son. Fantastic job bringing that home. And they end up using it for a doorstop. Now, this, this jeweler comes in, and he goes, my heavens, what is this? How are you keeping this door open? And the guy goes, well, well right down here, we have this doorstop. And the jeweler just looks down, and the first thought in his mind is, my God, what has science done? This is, this is absolutely fantastic. Five years ago, they would have burned you for witchcraft. And then he takes another closer look at it, being that he's a jeweler, and realizes this is a large-ass chunk of gold. 17 pounds worth of gold. And he looks at him and goes, give you $3.50 for that. What a jerk. (laughs) Seriously, what a jerk. $3.50, which, to be fair, was about $63.30 in today's money. So, how much is it actually worth? $3,500. Oh, 
By that's a, f- a big difference. That's a factor of a hundred. You know what? I thought it was really sweet. Did you did you see what what Reed spent the three dollars and fifty cents on? I did not. So that was a lot of money to him. Well, that so, that was a week's worth of wages at that time. So he went and he bought his wife Sarah uh, a new dress and some coffee beans. Ooh, I bet he so, got laid that night. Yeah, so Sarah got the beans and tossed them in a pot of water with a bit of meat. And um, she was astonished to find that the beans could not be cooked soft because they were coffee beans. Mm, coffee um, meat. Yeah, well, she didn't know. She just thought they were beans. The steaks like, makes me jittery. Was, <laughs> coffee was a luxury. Yeah. Like, coffee was not... People didn't really see that. Um, but they actually said that the mess was tossed on the hill beside the house... And somebody said, well, maybe that's where the expression not worth a hill of beans comes from. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought that was really fun, but also really sweet. He was like, I'm going to buy my wife a nice dress and some fancy coffee. And she's like, these fucking beans won't cook, man. Yeah. (laughs) Dear, I think this may be the worst meal you've ever cooked. And that's saying something. Poor Sarah. <laughs> Poor Sarah. This, so, so here we have $3,500 is what it's worth. So that means today that lump of gold would be worth $63,300. That's wow. an investment. $63 to $63,300. God. Yeah. That that is a big uh, big uh, chunk of change for a doorstop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now now John Reed, the owner of the land, he uh, he heard about this and he entered into a partnership with one Frederick Kaiser, a James Love, and a Martin Pfeiffer uh, in eighteen oh three. Almost as if like God going like yeah, real shame about that other one. Here, let me double it for you. The men found a nugget weighing 28 pounds. So here you have a a 17-pound lump of gold. Here you have a 28-pound lump of gold. People flourished. But, okay, so there's actually a story about the 28-pound lump of gold. Oh, no. I got all sorts of stories. Jesus, you really dug deep. I went, I just went, ooh, ghost, T.A., no, I'm humanizing this. I really am. So actually, that 28-pound lump of gold was found by one of the slaves owned by Love. So um, his name was Peter. And the story is that Love then offered Peter a walnut-sized knob off the nugget before it was flexed. But Peter was afraid that it would be a joke at his expense, so he refused to risk damage to his dinner fork to pry off the piece. Wow. Um, so, but I, okay, so in today's terms, that, that 28 pounds is a lot of money. But at the time, especially for, for a slave, if you ruined your fork, I mean, and, and there's there's no possibility that a fork would be strong enough to pry a piece of gold off anyway. All, all depends on what what the fork's made out of. If we're talking a steel fork, gold is really, really malleable. 
but he didn't want to risk it because that was the only fork he had. No. So, so he thought it would be a joke at his expense. So he he refused to take the walnut-sized piece off of it. But his name was Peter. It was in 1804, and I love you, Peter. You're awesome. I actually found this out too. Slaves were not allowed to work in most of the mines in the Carolinas because they were actually afraid that the slaves would hide the gold in nature's pocket and buy their freedom with it. So As well they should. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I'm I'm not disagreeing. I'm in fact I'm going to go a step further and say these men shouldn't been have been enslaved in the first place. God yes. damn motorcycles. For those listening, uh, this week is Thunder in the Valley in Johnstown. It, it <sighs> just. Yeah. I guess it brings a lot of money in. But it used to. I don't think it does anymore. I got to say, is it worth it that I'm not, I don't get a night's sleep for about three days? It's uh, just. I don't understand how motorcycle drivers get away with their bikes being this loud. If my car was that loud, I'd get pulled over and ticketed. Yeah, you would. You would, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, so this, this is going to take us to our first case. We are going to talk about the Reed Gold Mine. The Reed Gold Mine... It's uh, it's the one that, that Reed started. John Reed was born illegitimate. His father and his mother had to do a public penance recorded in the church in Germany a few months before he was born. So he actually has two different listed birth dates uh, because his gravestone says January 1757, but church records say April 14th, 1759 so january 1757 april 14th 1759 not a big gap but um some people believe that he actually changed it just so nobody would know about how his embarrassing past hmm. he uh fought with british and haitian troops in the american revolution and he deserted from savannah georgia so he was a deserter i go him <laughs> That's Go all I got to say. Go him. So uh, making his way to North Carolina was actually super dangerous because at the time, bounty hunters were paid for bringing back the scalps of deserters. Oh, my God. So Reed made his way th through the roads in three colonies and then settled, married, and had nine children with his wife, Sarah. Yeah. That's some potent nine. testes. So, all these mines started to pop up around the Reed Mine. And the first one, the first one that we're going to talk about here is what, is what became known as Skinflint's Mine. So, this is Skinflint Macintosh. We're just going to call him Mr. Macintosh. He, Can we call him Skinflint? I like it better. Well, he's, he's, he's not really known as Skinflint at this time. Right? So he's just I, Mr. McIntosh. And he, he wants people to work his mind, but everybody looks at him and went, I am walking in your fucking mind. Your fucking mind is dilapidated. He, he would use new wood, which is considerably softer 
than seasoned wood. I think we talked about seasoned wood on our we last did. episode. We learned all about seasoned wood right. on the last episode because there was a body found beside the season seasoning wood. Right. And so we had to learn about that. Right. So he's not using seasoned wood. He's using new wood. So imagine if you would. Let's, let's pretend wood is spaghetti. Whenever you have dry spaghetti, a.k.a. seasoned wood, it's stiff. It holds stuff up. But if you have cooked spaghetti, new wood, it's not going to do as good of a job. So none of the men would work in the mine. So Macintosh went to this one miner, Joe McGee. Joe McGee was an expert miner. One of the one of the podcasts I listened to said the first hole that Joe McGee crawled out of was his mom, and he never stopped from that point on. He just just kept going and going and going. So McGee, McGee goes, "I'm not going in your mind either. It's not safe." And Macintosh goes, yeah, "Come on, it's safe." He goes, "Look, if I go down in your mind, let's just say I go down in your mind, would you pay?" my wife a thousand dollars if i die which yeah some that's some decent money macintosh goes a thousand if you die down there i'll pay her two thousand mcgee goes to work for skinflint okay so hold on i want to give you a description of skinflint so we understand what he's he's operating with okay he is described as a miserly old codger who owned a rich vein in Southern Carabas County. He was so tight-fisted that he wouldn't pay adequate wages to the miners, nor would he provide sufficient safety measures to prevent accidents. Miserly old codger. Mm-hmm. That's on his resume. Yeah. So... Yeah. I don't think anyone should take a deal from him. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And what happens? One night, Joe McGee... He just doesn't come home. Are we at all surprised? Not at all. So his wife, Jenny, rounds up his friends, and they go look for a search party. They're knocking on doors. On, hey, have you seen Joe? Nope, haven't seen Joe here. Joe's friends, though, that they go to talk to, they're all experienced miners, and they go into Skinflint's mine, and they find nothing. So... Several weeks go by, husband's still missing, and Jenny goes to Macintosh and says, hey, you know what, my husband, it doesn't look like he's coming back. Could I have that $2,000 you promised him? And Skinflint looked at her and said, your husband run off on you. He, he, I, I said I'd, I'd, I'd pay you if he died. He, no, he didn't die. My minds are safe as all get out. You're not getting any money. He left you. And he slams his door in the woman's face. Real dick move. I bet Jenny was a cutie, too. Probably. Yeah. I was actually kind of hoping that Jenny would, would just get all uh, Black Widow on his ass. But that was just me. Nah. Nah. Didn't happen that way. But, no, she's too nice. Yeah, exactly. So... One of McGee's friends, Sean, he's, he's kind of dozing off in his cabin one night. Sean hears a knock at the door. Sean goes to the door, opens it, and there is 
McGee's ghost standing in front of him. And he goes, shit. <laughs> like, let's, let's hold, let, hold up here for a second. Let's, let's talk about the size of Sean's nutsack here. Then he just goes, oh, uh, oh, hey, McGee, how you doing? And McGee right? goes, well, well, I'm dead now. I gathered you being, you know, a specter and what have you. Um, so McGee, in the form of a ghost, says, hey, McIntosh cut costs on building the mine. He'd use green timbers to secure the shaft. And he goes, look, if you go here in the mine, you're going to see where the timbers have given way and you're going to find where I died. And then the ghost, the ghost doesn't know if, uh, if McIntosh had paid Jenny any of the money. Hey, did, did, you, did, you pay, did my wife get paid for this? And Sean goes, no. And then, like, I'm sure, I'm thinking it. I'm sure you're thinking it too. Why didn't you go talk to your wife? <laughs> I kind of thought that, but yeah. maybe he just knew that his wife would freak the fuck out. Let's see. I could go talk to my wife about that, but she's just going to try to scream and hug me. Or I could talk to Sean, whose testicles are the size of the Rio Grande. I'll go talk to Sean. Yeah, I mean, because if you only have, say, two minutes, mm -hmm. you're going to go talk to somebody that is not going to, like, pass out. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I assume, like, she would faint. Like, oh, my God. Instead, he's going to go to his minor buddy who, uh, like, ate a person one time. And <laughs> we don't know that. I suspect could have. It was a bar bet. It wasn't even for yeah. survival. Like, this is the guy that steals planes because somebody told me that he didn't have the balls to do it. Like, right. That's the kind of person this is. So he's like, I'm going to see my buddy Sean. Plus, Sean knows mines. I can tell him exactly in the mine where to find my damn body. And Sean <laughs> just goes, what's a plane? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that. But I'll steal it and fly it someplace. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean... Sean goes, okay, I will go, I will go look. And, uh, by the way, you know, Sean goes, do you got anything more to say? McGee goes, I'll haunt that mine of his forever. And just sort of fizzled out into the night. And I imagine Sean just went back to bed and went, well, <laughs> another it's night's rest, now. another night's rest destroyed by the paranormal. Damn this place. Right. He went back to bed. I'll deal with that shit in the morning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Sean and his friends formed what one website refers to as a well-armed delegation. And they go over to Macintosh and he goes, yeah, I know about it. And uh, I, I tried to hide it from Jenny. I didn't want to pay her the 2000, but you know, well-armed delegates uh, tend to have a way of making things happen. And Macintosh- away with words. Yeah. Macintosh paid Jenny the promised $2,000. After this, though, Macintosh could not find anyone to work for him. No one would work for him. Um, some say it was his disregard for the worker's safety. But a lot of other people, I've worked dangerous jobs. I'm sure a lot of people listening have worked, worked dangerous jobs. But others say it was the terrifying white figure that would appear, appear screaming deep in the mind. I, I think it's that. Yeah. I really, I think it was that. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, Skinflint Macintosh died a poor man. And some say that not only, not only can the ghost of McGee be seen in the mine today, some people actually say they see Macintosh wandering the, uh, wandering the grounds of the mine. Um, here's the thing, though. This is really neat. The site is open. You can go visit the Reed Gold Mine. You can go visit Skimflint's Mine. It's at 9621 Reed Mine Road in Midland. They're open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Get this. Get this. Admission is free. <laughs> you get to go in free, and you can even pan for gold there. That's cool. That is really cool. I've panned for gold before. It's wicked-ass fun. I found five little flakes of gold in the Feather River in Oroville, California. I, if you get the chance, North Carolina, if you're visiting there, go down there, for pan for gold. It's going to be a blast. So speaking of all this gold, let's talk about ghostly gold hill. <laughs> Wonderbar. So, um... Again, this is this is the North Carolina gold rush, which was a very, very, very big thing at the time. So Gold Hill was a little um, tragic, we'll go with. I, I'll say tragic. I'll say tragic. tragic. Tragic and racist. Yes, yes. Okay, so, but Gold Hill had mines hundreds of feet deep, Barnhart at 500 feet and Randolph at 800 feet, dug vertically into the ground with arms of horizontal tunnels extending off their main shaft. So it was cold, damp, dangerous. Employee housing was dismal. Disease killed many if the mines didn't do it. And um, it, it said that the town pretty much caved in on itself or burned from this. And there's a lot of sad stories that come from this. So Gold Hill was once a vibrant Main Street. It had 29 cabins, 26 saloons, six brothels. Yeah. Lots of choice there. And a, a jail. Obviously, you need one of those with all the saloons and brothels. Mm -hmm. And one of the big stories that, that came out of Gold Hill was Aaron Klein and Elizabeth Moyle. So Aaron Klein was a Pennsylvanian. He came to Gold Hill in the 1840s to work in the mines. He was a Jewish Pennsylvanian on top of that. He was the son of a rabbi. And for that, he was, he was not well-liked by the other miners. No, he was not. He was bullied pretty much incessantly. Yeah. He was picked on constantly. But at the same time, he also met and fell in love with Elizabeth Moyle, who was the daughter of a mine manager. I, I think it's hilarious that a Jewish man fell in love with a woman named Moyle. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but I also want you to imagine in this time period, the ratio of men to women. Carolina, where the men were men, the women were scarce, the sheep were nervous, and the word cowpoke was used as a verb. Yes, at this time, yes. Um, so there was not a lot of women, and any woman, especially one with well-off means, being the daughter of a mine owner, was very coveted. So having a Pennsylvanian Jew 
scoop one of the women up was a big no-no. So not only did people not like him because he was Jewish to start with, but he stole a very coveted woman. Stole. So they loved each other. They had their wedding planned. And one of his co-workers, Big Stan Kukla. Jesus Christ, that's a Polish name if I've ever heard one. He let his anger be known about this. He was furious. So one morning, a group of the miners came to the Randolph shaft to start work, and they found Klein's puppy dead. That's That hurt. There's a lot of animal abuse this week. There is. Yeah, there's animal abuse in our tiny. There's animal abuse in the... Who... That's that's a special breed of son of a bitch. Yeah. Right there. Don't kill animals. Kill people. Right. Killing we'll talk a, about you. Killing a dog <laughs> is bad enough. Killing a puppy. a puppy. Remember whenever we watched Faces of Death 4? That was the only thing we fast forwarded. Yeah. Yeah. We, this is back on VHS, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we watched Faces of Death 4 and made fun of the people dying the whole way through it. But then, like, some... So we actually, we're six sons of bitches, and we actually muted it and made our own commentary for the entire movie, except for the puppies, which we had to fast we, forward. Yeah, yeah, couldn't do it. The magician that gets his face crushed was hilarious. The the guy who bungee jumped out of his school, but he calculated the... They didn't the calculate bun- the 13th floor wasn't there. Right, so he just... Dude, hit the ground and crumpled like a sack of laundry. And then, like, the fireman's just got his arm around the girlfriend going, so uh, you're single now, huh? Yep. (laughs) So they find Klein's puppy, but they never find Klein. Mm -hmm. He had just disappeared. But that's not where the story ends, because not long after he disappeared... A mysterious light began to show up near the Randolph shaft. Don't forget, also the whining of a puppy. Also the whining of a puppy. Mm-hmm. So at least they got to stay together. I, I think that's um, sweet. So I, these, I, these occurrences actually shook everyone, including Big Stan. Um, because it, um, they went into the mine at all hours in an apparent search for something. So when miners came to work one morning, they actually found Big Stan at the bottom of the mine, dead on the skip. All right, so a skip is a a hand-drawn elevator. So they came in and they found him dead, and the skip should have been at the top of the shaft. So then people started blaming Aaron Klein for his death. His mysterious Jew magic kept him alive. Yeah, I guess it was the mysterious Jew magic. Maybe the puppy anger. I don't know. Something Dude, kept him there. Puppy anger would keep would keep my spirit rooted to a spot. I hope whenever I die, all my pets come and come and just ride right over the rainbow bridge to me. It'd be fucking fantastic. Now there was actually another sighting of Aaron and his puppy. So a few years after Big Stan was at the bottom of the shaft, a fisherman was approached by a young man and his puppy and he was he was trying to talk to him because they came out of the woods and um the the man didn't answer him uh so his buddy who was fishing a little bit further down the bank goes who are you talking to and he spins back around and the guy and his puppy are gone he's like there was there's just a dude and his puppy they were they were 
right here. Yeah. I had too much to drink. <laughs> Elizabeth never really got over Aaron's death either. Either She never married. And not only is Aaron in the puppy scene, she's seen there as well. Uh, Gary Russell, who is a Gold Hill native, thinks he may have seen Elizabeth one time. Uh, he was uh, going through the park one Saturday with his pickup truck, and he saw a young woman by the pond. She turned around, started working, uh, working her way towards Russell, and he kind of goes, hey, how you doing? And then she just walks past his truck window, doesn't say a word, just looks straight ahead. So it's a thing where anytime, anytime I see somebody strange, you know, I kind of look in my rearview mirror to see them behind me. I've got a weird story that happened this week that I'll do a little side trip to. But whenever, whenever Gary looked in his rearview mirror, she was nowhere to be seen. Nowhere. Do you want to hear my weird story? I do. Okay. So I had to go through Mineral Point. And coming out of Mineral Point, Pennsylvania, there's a very steep hill that'll lead you up the hill uh, past a mine, actually. Yeah. And then, you know, you can take a left, go to Nandy Glow, take a right, go to Summer Hill. Um. As I'm going up this hill, I look and this guy has two walking sticks and he's walking down the hill. And he looks exactly the way you think Clark Kent should look, right? Looks exactly like you think Clark Kent should look. And just kind of jokingly, as I drive past him, I go, Superman? And I look at him in the rearview mirror where I go, Superman? The motherfucker heard me from 75 feet away and turned around and looked. It was great. I think I passed Superman. <laughs> that is weird. That is really weird. But maybe he just heard you say something. Like, is that guy talking well, to me? 75 feet away. He didn't hear anything if he didn't have super hearing. Maybe he had his like hearing aids turned up too high. Maybe. He didn't look like he had hearing aids. He was Clark Kent. Okay, that's oh, what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should we talk about the Newman Brothers? We should. Tell me all about the Newman Brothers. I love the Newman Brothers. This, this is my favorite. This is my absolute favorite. So the Newman Brothers, uh, this is the same mine, Randolph Mine. These two brothers named Walter and Joe Newman buy the property. Walter was a very, very greedy man. So one day, if you got a mine, you got to have a lot of dynamite. So one day, Joe's brother explodes at home <laughs> in 1918. Just kaboom. And somehow his diary survives. And in writing that isn't exactly his writing, it says, I'm so depressed. I think I will blow myself up tonight. Sounds legit. Yeah. Sounds a little suspicious if you ask me. So it was, it was a thing where everybody kind of went, Walter fucking killed his brother. Walter did it. Walter did it. It was because they were splitting the profits. Now, Walter doesn't have to split the profits anymore. Walter takes full control of the mine. But soon his workers are seeing eerie lights. They're hearing strange noises in the shaft. And the miners go, oh, we're, we're not working here anymore. And Walter was never really able to get people to work the mine again. 
a lot of people said that these noises were Walter's brother, Joe, making sure that people knew, hey, Walter did this to me. But, but in 1950, oh my God, this is the best goddamn ghost sighting ever. Some reports I've seen said it was two boys out there. Two boys like 12 and 13 years old at night. Another report said it was like kind of a man and woman out there making out. But they look over at the mine because they kind of see this light emanating forth from the mine. And they look at it and went, honey, does that look like a thigh to you? Sure does. Sure does, sweetheart. My God, I think that's, a, that's Joe Newman's thigh, isn't it? Pretty soon, there is this fucking paranormal parade of body parts. Here goes a foot. Here goes a hand, an elbow. I'm sure a nutsack went floating by. Why not? It was just this parade of floating body parts coming out of the mind. Why not nuts? Right, right. Nobody ever talks about the paranormal scrotum. And I think it's about- That's true. Yeah, I think it's about time somebody, somebody brings this up. I cannot, I, I've had a lot of ghostly experiences in my life. Have you ever seen paranormal balls? I have not seen paranormal testicles. I've had, I've had spirits kind of talk to me. I've seen stuff move. I've, I've heard voices, gotten EVP. I swear to you, I have not seen a parade of body parts ever. I stay pretty calm during most of the stuff I've seen. I don't think I'd be able to keep my wits with, with like a parade of body parts floating out of a mine at night. Glowing. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think anyone would really, um, s well, at least stay there very long because I'd probably run like hell. Right. Uh <laughs> right. That's that's just that's just amazing. That to me is amazing. And this is this is, is <laughs> like whenever whenever it's like the man and the woman, they just go, well, we were in the car and they floated by. But the, it, the stories where it's like the boys, and who's to say this isn't happening to both of them? Who's to say this isn't one story being told two different ways, that maybe it's two stories about the same paranormal phenomena? The boys were chased by the body parts. That would be horrifying. Ah, we, Absolutely we, horrifying. We know Joe Newman had a soul. We saw the bottom of his foot. Uh, <laughs> God oh, yeah. damn you, Scott. <laughs> damn you so i'm gonna tell you guys about the powder house so a powder house it's like a tunnel like brick structure built into a hillside and that's usually where the miners would keep all their dynamite and stuff because when you're doing mines you've got to blow stuff up <laughs> why not um so they try to keep it away from the actual tunnels so it's not dangerous to the miners because some people Unlike Skin Flint, actually cared about the miners' safety a little bit. No. Maybe, maybe a little bit. So, it is also known for its level of paranormal activity. It seems to be the thing. Of course. Um, so there's there's actually a, a number of books and documentaries about powder houses and and the paranormal activity uh, that comes from them. So uh, there, the story I'm going to tell you revolves around two miners working in the Randolph mine. 
They'd entered the powder house to get some dynamite. And while one was standing at the doorway, he lit a kerosene lantern. The other one had a pick that he was using to open the wooden crate. He apparently hit the crate so hard that the dynamite exploded and the pick flew up and embedded itself into his chest. Ew. Now, the other miner was thrown against the door where part of the ceiling caved in. So he actually survived because the ceiling caving in saved him from being dynamite exploded everywhere. Um, but the miner who died with a, a pick in his chest is said to haunt the powder house still. So there were actually investigations done on this where they would get like... Um, Detections on their their meters for electromagnetic fields, and uh, they would. There's there's other stories where um, they kept getting all sorts of like ener energy from the meters. There was a guy that had parked his white truck up on the roadside, and he walked down. It was a dark night with no moon. There was no crickets, no sound at all, and then all of a sudden, it was like everything started back up again. So it was like the whole world went black and silent and then everything just started out all, all up at one time with like sounds and lights and stuff. Um, I don't know why, so, but that's that's frightening to me all in itself right there. Yeah, that, that everything like it's like the air got sucked out of the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they actually said that they saw a dark image had blocked the back end of the truck. A whole bunch of people that were there investigating saw it. So not just like one person, but like the whole team of people that were investigating the powder house saw this like this this black, dark thing block off the truck so that nobody could see the truck anymore. Um, so after some coaxing, their flashlights started coming back on. The meter started coming back on. There was they said there were six or eight of them that experienced this all at one time. So they, they said it feels like there's a, a darker spirit there, maybe even from further back than mining time. Because, I mean, you always have, like, the, the old, like, Native American burial ground and stuff like that. Like, you don't know what was there before Americans came over and wrecked the place. Um, so there's, there's all sorts of spooky stuff. So one of the stories is there was, um, it's the Russell, Russell Rufty Shelter. It's a hall in the historic park. So they actually went there and said that people kept hearing footsteps upstairs, except there was no access upstairs. <laughs> there was nothing there. It was floored for storage. And there was a. We barely like, have an upstairs. Yeah, they, they barely had an upstairs, but people would hear footsteps upstairs all the time and it would freak them out. And um, they would see shadows in corners all over the place. They heard a voice caught on audio say i'm here oh oh i don't know why i heard i heard an evp a few years back for our listeners that don't know most most of our listeners i'm sure do evp stands for electronic voice phenomena it's it's a voice supposedly of a ghost that can't be heard with the human ear but shows up on a recording i heard a i heard like an evp these this paranormal team went to a cemetery and they said, hey, if there's anybody here that would like to speak with us, let us know. 
and just you heard I'm here 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 over and over coming from like in different voices just like everybody at the cemetery going like yo I'll talk yeah and they had a couple other instances too so um there, there was somebody saying that coyotes are really uh prevalent there and so there was a group of people taking pictures and a woman said that she thought she saw a coyote and you can hear somebody say flash so they don't blind with the camera mm -hmm. but on the auto re audio recording there's a woman's voice saying fox <sighs> and then there's there's also a storytelling that goes on um so this is actually really cool it's called the village ghost walk that you can go on mm -hmm. and um they, they said that during a storytelling, they go in the back room, the lights are dimmed, there's a flashlight set on the back counter. And um, while the person was setting up, the flashlight kept going on and off. So she asked the spirit to shut it off because they weren't ready to start yet. And it did. Oh, God. That, Which is uh... cool as hell. So if anyone is interested, actually, uh, it's the Gold Hill Merchants host the Village Ghost Walk. And the general public is invited. They have a website and a whole bunch of shops. If anybody is interested, go to historicgoldhill.com for details. So there's actually another story, and I don't know who's involved in this, because all I got was a very quick blurb, that there is uh, a nasty mind boss who is blamed for making the bottom stair vanish in one of the historic buildings in town. So you go to take your last step, and boom, no step. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a pretty cool party trick, if you ask me. Absolutely. It could be almost <laughs> fatal. An almost fatal party trick. Almost fatal party trick. I find it interesting that, that the mine, we had no trouble, no trouble whatsoever finding stories about murder and the paranormal in mines. It's really popular, actually. Right? Right? It was, it was, kind, of, it was kind of odd. Um... The, the biggest problem I had with my notes, and you can ask Amber this, this is God's honest truth, was keeping everything in order. <clears throat> because like one story would lead into another and backtrack to another. I had a hell of a time getting there everything in a so good order. There are so many stories. Yeah. Because right? you pick one mine and you've got four spooky stories. Like, right? And it's, yeah. to me, it's fascinating. There's, and I mean, Pennsylvania, I read... I read a story about a Pennsylvania haunted mine uh, where uh, it was the gentleman's name was Elijah Boaker, uh, who had been murdered in the mine. And this is in Neshanic Township in Lawrence County in western Pennsylvania, right where we are. Uh, in the fall of 1898, this ghost would enter the mine with his pick and lamp every night, work busily at the entrance of the mine, and then emerge from the shaft each dawn before ba vanishing into thin air. And it's, people still see it. It's not as regular, but people still see it to this day. On a personal note, my dad, whenever he was a kid, back, back whenever my dad was a young man, the law said you only had to work until the eighth grade. And my dad, being a stout man of five foot nothing, went to work in the mines. My dad worked in this mine in a little town called Coal Run, Pennsylvania. And he said about once a week, you'd be sitting there at night 
and you could hear horses bring a carriage into the mine because the mine carts, they would horse draw some of the mine carts in the mine. But he said you'd hear horses clip-clopping into the mine and you'd look at the entrance and there was nothing there whatsoever. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting little, little phenomena. Is it something about... Is it something about the mine that brings people in? Is it the danger of the job? Is it the trauma of the job? It, it's a fascinating little thing. And I believe a lot of these stories, honestly, to be true. Which is weird coming from you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's one thing to sit back and say, oh, hey, I saw, I saw the ghost of John Newman uh, walk out and say, my brother Walter killed me. It's another thing to go, I was chased by a parade of body parts. Yeah, that's a, that's a different thing to claim. Right? I, yeah. Right. Okay, that's fair. And with, uh, with the McGee haunting, the fact that he, McGee was able to tell his friend exactly where he could find his body, that kind of leads me to... And it was there. It was there. <laughs> it was there. That kind of leads me to believe, and I, I, think, I, I think this is one of the rare cases where I'm going to look at this and go, no, this has some validity. Maybe Sean, maybe Sean thought he was awake and dreamt the whole thing. But even as a dream, you've got to kind of accurate. Yeah, you got accurate information. Exactly. Because, you know, there have been times that I've had very vivid dreams. I weren't sure if they were reality. Weren't sure if they were dreams. Sometimes the old brain, human brains are fallible. They don't work right. But the fact that it leads to accurate information has to make me think that there's something supernatural at play. Going back to where we started, Reed's Mine. We're, we're ending this one where it began. Uh, a neighbor of the Reeds in the early 1800s, Eugene Mills, was not getting along with his wife. We all know how bad that can be. Women, am I right? No. <laughs> uh, you, you've known the women I've dated, Amber. Okay, your women then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My women's. My women's. Although my, my wife right now is lovely. And She's I amazing. Right? I think Amber would probably murder me if we got divorced. Amber would never speak to me again. And mm. rightfully so. I would, it would depend on circumstances. Uh, I, think, I think Ariana's going to stay sweet as she is. Well, you never know. You never know. <laughs> oh, no. What do you know that I don't? No, I'm just saying you never know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It just depends on circumstances. Like if one of you did something awful, then yeah, I'm going to be like, you're the dick bag here. <laughs> Amber doesn't take sides except the right side. Yeah, so, no, because I'm, I'm always right. That's just how it is. Here's the thing. Eugene Mills' wife, though, uh, she was known throughout the land as being kind of a bitch. Some places call it somewhat cantankerous. It, it seems like his wife should have been named Karen. <laughs> so, Aww. yeah. So, and they, they fought constantly. And Eleanor is just absolutely berating her husband, probably making fun of his paranormal nutsack and saying about how nice. <laughs> have you seen, have you seen the floating scrotum? 
outside of the mine that belonged to Joe Newman. Now there was a man. Not like you, Eugene. You filthy bastard with your tiny raisin-like scrotum. So she, uh, she's, she's really busy berating her husband and uh, not noticing that maybe the cat's at her feet. And she trips and falls down the stairs, killing her instantly. But Eugene, as many pen-pecked husbands do, just walks out the door. He's not even looking at her. He thinks, oh, this is, this is her being a drama queen. I'm going to walk out, and she's going to be fine. And he returns uh, several hours later, and, uh, and well, he, he looks down and finds her dead. And just, he's filled with panic and relief. <laughs> I just imagine him being like, oh, thank God, silence. I'm going to the bar. Yeah. And then he comes home later and is like, oh, shit. She was, she was legitimately, oh. Oh, man. And he goes over and goes, honey, are you okay? And she goes, ah! <laughs> you're a horrible man. How could you leave me? Her shrill voice is still leaping from her corpse's throat. Which, you know, to me says she's not dead. <laughs> that was my thought, actually. Because um, there, he, like, he came home and found her corpse still screaming. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's how corpses work. <laughs> this is a Monty Python skit. Nope, you're dead, honey. What a shame. <laughs> but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> so Eugene was terrified. You wouldn't know dead if it jumped up and bit you in your tiny ball sack. You pathetic, useless taint of a human being. So Eugene is rightfully terrified, does everything he can to stop her screams, <laughs> holds a pillow over her face. Just, <laughs> yeah, honey, you're dead. You're dead, honey. <laughs> just stop now. You're dead. So finally, he just... Like, in what has to be the most hilarious and awkward body disposal in history. Him carrying the screaming corpse of his wife. He dumps her body down a deep mine shaft in, in the Reed Gold Mine. And for many years later, people said you could still hear Eleanor Mills shrieking from the depths of the shaft saying, I want to speak to this mine's manager. But you know what? Like, okay, so every time I read this story, because I've read it several times, I'm like, she wasn't even dead. Like, he just came home drunk. Is like, no, I saw you fall. You're dead. You're dead. I saw it. You're dead. I, I just picture like, like, like I said, she had the, uh, she had the reputation of being a bitch. I just picture like the neighbor opened the door. Uh, what are you doing there? What are you doing there, Eugene? Uh, wife fell down the stairs and died. Really, she seems a, uh, she seems quite. I'm not dead. <laughs> she seems quite lively. Nope, corpse is haunted. <laughs> really, really, isn't that what we all are? Haunted corpses. <laughs> I suppose we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we're just two haunted corpses telling you all a story about other haunted corpses. <laughs> really, and some some corpses that aren't so haunted. Yes, I yes. like I like to think of ghosts as just people who have gone through a full body amputation. I really, really, really want somebody to turn this into a Monty Python skit, though. Oh, we have to. It sounds like a Monty <laughs> Python skit. I'm not dead. Yes, you are. Shut up. <laughs> it's a shame. I loved you, dear. 
<laughs> Don't worry. Oh, Don't worry. I won't let any, any woman I date after this wear your clothing. She'll be much younger and thinner than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, came home to find his dead wife mm, mm -hmm. still screaming and then dumps her down the mine shaft where she was heard screaming for several more years. <laughs> Which kind she's, of leads validity. She's down there eating rats. Like, that's what's happening. And she's, too, you son of a bitch! Too mean to die. <laughs> oh, my God. This has been a fun one. Uh, Chrissy's going to hate us. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> this has been hilarious. It's been great. I hope you, the listeners, had a blast with this, too. Please go over to the Patreon. We have got a catalog over on that Patreon. If you if you don't if you don't have a membership over there, honest to God, you're missing missing a plethora. I think it's eighty plus shows at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighty plus shows. Some of the funniest shows, in my opinion, are over there. You have uh, a story about a poor man who just could not find a grave for the longest time, and it turned out like. His body had been made into boots, and, and you've got a, a, two of my favorite stories. A bus driver who just went on a happy little trip, and uh, more recently, this, this is probably one, it may not be up yet, or it may just be coming up. We got a man that stole a plane, and then stole it again just to prove to somebody from Connecticut that he stole it the first time. Good job, Fitz. Yeah, yeah. Go Head on over to our Redbubble. As well, get yourself an old-timey, crimey shirt. It's a little weird to see people wearing my face on their chest. I'm still, I think it's hot. I'm still Wear get, my face on your chest. I'm still getting used to it. <laughs> it's, it's a little weird. Hey, you know what? We've also got a wonderful Facebook. We've got an Instagram. It is updated on the daily. You're going to see images from these shows, it's going to help bring these stories more to life than they already are. Thank you so much for listening. Amber, thank you for joining me this week. Anytime. Have, have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Amber's sources for this week's episode were NorthCarolinaGhosts.com, UltimateCampResource.com, CabarrusMagazine.com, OnlyInYourState.com NorthernCarolinaHauntedHouses.com NCpedia.org and Digital.NCDCR.gov My sources were Wikipedia.org Two articles, one on the Carolina Gold Rush a second on the Reed Gold Mine NorthernCarolinaHauntedHouses.com NorthernCarolinaGhosts.com The NCGhostGuide.ByTheHost12.com and CarabasMagazine.com